Welcome, everybody. Episode 46, ISSCR Preview. I am Dr. Christopher Fasano. He is Dr. Yosef Gannett. And this is the Stem Cell Podcast. What's going on, Yos? Oh, nothing much. Uh, how's it going over on your end over there? Pretty good, man. Pretty good. Yeah. Uh, summer's in full effect now, so I'm feeling a little better out of that uh, sad seasonal uh, depression <laughs> you, that we had there. You getting your, uh, do- your daily dose of vitamin D out in the getting sun? my or? vitamin D, man. I am. feels great. We had a beautiful weekend here in New York. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was like really perfect, so we got to hang out. And then, uh, you know, lab is churning away, you know, we're working, 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 getting ready to go to Sweden in a couple weeks. We're going to talk a lot about that uh, today. How about you, man? How's, how's it going down there? Yeah, research is going well and uh, agreed on the summer tip. Uh, you know, the Memorial Day weekend was really nice and uh, it, it feels like we're in full swing. But I just realized uh, with the ISSCR um, is since we're a bi-weekly podcast, actually, the that Tuesday, we're going to be in Iceland. So... Uh, we may have to be off by a week, uh, or I guess we could put out something, maybe just a science roundup uh, for that week while we're actually in Sweden. So um, we'll figure that out. But um, Yeah, that's a good point. Yosef uh, and I will be together. So um, if we are not uh, up 24 hours partying in Iceland <laughs> and we have some time, maybe we'll do like a quick just scientific round science roundup 20 minutes and put it out if not and we'll let you guys know by twitter and stuff facebook what we're going to do if not we'll delay it a week and when we get back we'll put on uh maybe we'll, we'll, we might have to do two or three shows yos because we're gonna have so much material at ISSCR, right there's no way we're going to condense it into a one-hour show yeah hopefully uh we'll have that much material but yeah so, so uh, uh, yeah, on that note, so today our, our guest, and you heard by the title, is Dr. Heather Rook, um, who uh, is a scientist and did her postdoc with Stu Ork, and she'll tell us a little bit about that, uh, and then uh, and has been with ISSCR for a long time and now is the science director of ISSCR. And she's going to tell us about what she does in the ISSCR and what goes into the meeting, uh, what's going on at the meeting, how you can make the best of the meeting, things like this. Uh, it's just really a... Uh, a, uh, a, uh, a teaser, teaser tour to get us to uh, Sweden in the ISSCR meeting. So she'll join us in about 20 minutes. Yeah, and, she's a, uh, she's a great it. communicator. I wish I had her voice. Um, Very well, clear. She's yeah. got that accent. Yeah, that, yeah. Uh, so, you know, so. New Zealand. It's, uh, it's, it's <laughs> awesome. It's like perfect. I love that. Uh, yeah. So you guys, you'll, you, everyone, you'll enjoy, you'll enjoy the interview. And I hope, I hope, I hope everybody will be coming to to the meeting and if not uh next year for sure it'll be in i believe san francisco so we'll see you there so you know we are the stem cell podcast the one and only stem cell podcast the official podcast of the international society for stem cell research the ISSCR again that's what we're talking about uh in the interview today um please go to stemcellpodcast.com check us out we got about we got 45 episodes up so you have plenty to listen to uh, you can sign up for the newsletter, uh, which a lot of people are doing, and after every show airs, we'll email you and let you know that it's out, and with all the links to the papers that Yosef and I talk about, So, uh, and you only get that one email, so it's uh, it's a good resource. I suggest everybody signs up. Uh, what else, Yos? What are we? Uh, That's it what on we my got? end. That's it on my end. You ready to get to the roundup? Yeah, let's get to the roundup, which is sponsored by Thermo Fisher. Uh, Thermo, we had Thermo on recently. They were talking about their differentiation products to help you uh, guide your cells down different lineages. Go to stemcellpodcast.com, click on the banner, and you can learn more about that. Thermo will be at ISSCR, so you can check them out at the exhibit hall. Yos, my man, let's uh, round it up. 
Okay, there was a current biology study showing that 3% of small tooth sawfish are uh, produced from asexual reproduction, or what we call parthenogenesis. And this is the first time this has been observed in a non-captive fish. Like, they've shown this with, like, sharks in aquariums and some snakes or reptiles in zoos. But uh, this is the first time this has been seen in the wild, and it was not expected to have 3%. You know, this is a large number for asexual reproduction in fish, and they think um, this this may be be because they're threatened species, their population is low, that they've reverted to this parthenogenesis, uh, so reproduction, asexual reproduction in the wild. Uh, It's a surprising number, 3%. Wow. Uh, yeah. So uh, that was an interesting study. Uh, there was a biomaterial study showing that uh, they could build a rat forelimb tissue uh, with working blood vessels and mus- muscle fibers in the lab. So uh, they transplanted this, what they are calling a biolimb. I never heard that term before, but this biolimb into a rat and uh, the blood vessels start circulating with blood and uh, the, the muscles flex. They, uh, so they built this limb by stripping away cells from an existing rat forelimb and uh, repopulated uh, the remaining matrix with progenitor cells in a bioreactor with electrical stimulation to promote growth. And uh, before the transplant, uh, the contraction strength of this limb was 80% of a newborn rat. So, uh, nice proof of principle uh, study Jeez, man. Yeah, biomaterials. Uh, there was a brain research bulletin study looking at uh, 189 MRI scans of healthy volunteers showing that individuals with the type O blood type uh, have more gray matter in the posterior proportion, uh, portion of the cerebellum. And they also found that those with type B or type AB blood types had less gray matter in the left hippocampus. So I don't know what's going on with blood types, but I need to find out which one I am. If I'm type (laughs) A, B, or A, B, or O. Um, So you can find that in the Brain Research Bulletin. Uh, There was a nature uh, study. This one got a lot of press. You probably saw this. uh, Showing that uh, the brain is directly connected to the immune system uh, by blood vessels that were not known to exist before. So uh, they show that it's connected to the peripheral immune system uh, to meningeal lymphatic vessels. So you're probably familiar. Yeah, well, yeah, Christy, we were reading it the other day. Very cool. Yeah, so it's apparently a game changer. So they showed this. Uh, in the mouse, and there's some uh, evidence in their like supplemental figure for this being in human tissue as well. Uh, they were uh, discovered through a method by which uh, the mouse meninges was placed on a single slide so they could uh, examine it as a whole. So congrats to them. Uh, it's going to rewrite the textbooks. Yeah, um, man, that's like going against dogma. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, there was a, I'm just going to blast few, uh, through a few here. I don't know if you saw that uh, Viagra, a female Viagra, was approved by the FDA advisory committee. I saw this. Called uh, Flibanserin. Uh, so there's c- some controversy over the safety and efficacy of this uh, drug. It targets the brain's serotonin uh, receptor. It's an antagonist and uh, not blood vessels like the real Viagra and men does. And uh, it, is, it was initially tested as an uh, antidepressant 
suppressant. And it was t- it's supposed to be taken every day and takes six to eight weeks to kick in. And it's for premenopausal women. And uh, there's it's contraindicated with alcohol. And we'll see if it gets the full vote in August. So uh, that like, could real be- quick, Yos, we know what Viagra is intended to do, right? With yeah. by by vasodilation and opening up blood vessels. Is this more just for drive, or is this for actual uh, sexual performance? Do you I know what I'm saying? It's, I think it's for desire, as okay. it, as it were. So uh, we'll see. There's some controversy, but it got like an 18 to three or some vote. It was it was way in favor that with the advisory. mostly men yeah. on that committee. Yeah. Or <laughs> who, who knows? <laughs> just... That's a good question. Actually, uh, there was a Lancet study of this thing called the Ubble test uh, for 40 to 70 year olds. This test, online test, will tell you the percentage chance of you dying within five years dude i took it <laughs> you did but no wait you have to be 40 i think yeah, is this the one yeah. where you have to be 40 yeah above 40 yeah i couldn't 40. take it but yeah. i was looking at it that's funny uh so hopefully you'll have a low percentage on that test uh there was uh i'm gonna blast through a few real quick there was a nature study of a self-healing robot uh i'll post it uh on the website it's pretty cool uh images of this like robot healing itself when it loses a limb um there was uh i don't know if you saw that the large hadron collider uh 2.0 it's up and running they did some repairs it took two years to repair and they're they're firing it up as it were and uh so hopefully uh rewrite some some physics textbooks fundamental theories uh of uh our universe and um there was a uh Real quick, a 3D visualization of the electro or the Earth's electromagnetic field. I'll post to this. I, I'm not quite familiar with all the details, but an undergraduate student was able to create this new way of visualizing the Earth's magnetic field, the electromagnetic field, which protects us all from the sun's harmful cosmic rays. So I did something cool. similar in my undergrad. Yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, there was a science uh, paper of uh, humanized yeast. Uh, genes. Uh, they, so about 4,000 of our genes are shared with our yeast ancestors. And uh, about half the genes that they were able to put into the yeast uh, were deemed to be functional. So uh, this was a cool paper because, you know, who would think that like we'd still be able to put, you know, half of our genes would work at least the ones they tested in yeast. So uh, that just shows like how at the basics some of our genes can can work in like a eukaryote, the, the original eukaryote. That's funny. It's like OG, this the original <laughs> <laughs> eukaryote. Uh, so uh, moving on, there's an American Journal of Public Health finding uh, that children conceived by assistive reproductive technology are twice as likely to develop autism. Uh, the study included nearly 6 million children uh, bo- uh, born in California between 1997 and 2007. Uh, so that's kind of concerning uh, for those people looking for uh, help um, in having children. Yeah, uh, there was a science retraction of how to change people's minds on gay marriage. Did you see this? It got a lot of no. press. Yeah, so uh, basically this study was falsified. Uh, it was really bad, but it was in Science Magazine, and they had to retract it because uh, no one could reproduce the findings. So, uh, And it was pretty stunning. They showed like 90% were able to change people's minds on gay marriage. So it got a lot of press, and then it got a lot of press when it got retracted. Uh, so, uh, at least science, you know, 
was science as a whole was able to autocorrect, uh, which we may rant about later. Um, there was a PLOS one study showing uh, this was a four hundred thirty thousand year old cold case of murder <laughs> inside a Spanish cave. They found uh, two fractures in a skull of a primitive member of the Neanderthal uh, lineage, and they found it at this apparent funerary site. And the skull shows that Homo sapiens aren't the only ones capable of murder. So this cold case is finally solved. So uh, I love this like old case of CSI. I wonder what the statute of limitations is on that one. Yeah, um, really. Yeah, I'm gonna skip to a couple, since I'm low on time. But uh, there's a Roger Barker injected uh, some human fetal cells into uh, Parkinson's disease patient uh, who was in his mid 50s. Uh, this is the first fetal transplant in 20 years, and they didn't get uh, the guy did not get both the uh, sides of the brain treated because uh, they only had enough cells to treat half of his brain but the, t- pl- the team plans to test the treatment and make uh, f- uh, for for 19 more people in the trials, which is split between uh, Cambridge and Sweden and is expected to be completed as early as 2017. So I, I'm not sure if you saw that, but uh, Roger Barker, he's actually on our uh, stem cell podcast interview from the ISSCR from last year. So uh, if you want to check that out and uh Finally, how do I end this? I would end this on saying uh, a nature genetics study sh- uh, looking at nature versus nurture. And they surveyed 2,700 twin studies published between 1958 and 2012. And looking at more than 17,000 traits, they found that across all trades, uh, traits, the average heritability was 49% while environmental factors and or measurement errors counted for the other 51%. So it's 51% in, uh, in, in nurture. Nurture wins by that 1%. By 1%. Right. Yeah, yeah. So by split decision uh, in Nature Genetics, you can find that. Uh, actually, this, this lab uh, released a website uh, called match.ctglab.nl, and it tells you the heritability uh, percentage of a trait. So you could find like height. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. So there's a website uh, associated with this study as well. Uh, so I'll end it on that one uh, in a split decision. Nurture that, wins. Yeah, that's yeah. cool because, you know, since since having a kid, I've experienced the nature and nurture thing more close to home because you get to see it. You get to see like a human develop and you get to see traits that you know in yourself or your partner and uh, it, it brings it up more so nature versus nurture. Like I'm convinced that certain I – mean, I'm more of the, of the nature than a nurture. I think nurture – you're, you're predisposed to something and then you nurture it. But uh, that's that's cool. Nature genetics. Well, all right. Yeah, check yeah. It out. So, all right. Let me go through quick because we have to bring Heather on. So I'll, I'll get through what I have and then whatever I don't get to, I'll just put online. Uh, I'll start off with, uh, I don't know if you saw this, but the White House uh, finally came out and made their comments known about germline gene editing. So we talked about it a bunch and there's a bunch of groups, including ISSCR, that have come out and wait, put their stance out. And uh, basically the White House's message was uh, that scientists should hold off on experiments that could permanently alter people's DNA and passing it, um, pass the changes along to future generations. So this is Dr. John Holdren, Director of White House Office of Science and Technology Policy. That would be an awesome job, right? You yeah, know, I mean, probably so. so political that you probably wouldn't get anything done, but still uh, <laughs> a funny. cool job to hold. The, administ- the administration believes that altering the human germline for clinical purposes is, is a line that should not be crossed at this time. 
this is what was the statement. Uh, and they go on to, uh, you know, he goes on to add uh, that, um, where is it here? I just lost a quote, quote, of course, because my computer freaked out. Research along these lines raises serious and urgent questions about the potential implications for clinical applications that could lead to genetically altered human beings. So I guess they're going to have this like international summit um, in the fall of this year uh, to really kind of dive into these issues because, you know, it's only going to get worse. Not worse. I mean, it's only going to be advanced more. So they're going to have to figure out collectively as a, as a scientific group, a global scientific initiative, what do we do about this? How do we be careful of how we engineer our, um, our uh, germline, uh, our human beings? And you get into that slippery slope that we talk about, Yos, where you have superhumans. Yeah, uh, and nobody wants that. So, all right. So, uh, I saw this just flipping through as a seminary series, and I'm seeing this a lot. It's the reason why I'm talking about it. That these institutes, this is the Dallas PRP and Stem Cell Institute. They're announcing a seminar series on stem cells beginning June 24th. It's a public seminar. Hey, that's my birthday. Happy birthday! Oh, is it really? Yeah, Are we going to be in Sweden for your birthday? Yeah, basically. Yeah. Oh we're, we're man, that's fun. awesome. Yeah. Uh, to educate, so this is to educate the public about the latest breakthrough applications for uh, this is for specific for autologous stem cells. So what I'm seeing is that you know everyone, a lot of people ask about stem cells and stem cell treatment and stem cell things. So you have these little spinoff, these institutes that are doing these public seminars and series to educate you uh, and to just to give you uh, a little more information. So I saw that and I, I just wanted to bring that up. That's in Dallas. Uh, this was cool. I think it was from Cell Stem Cell. Sex hormones maintain stem cells, and they may explain why 95% of supercentenarians are women. Really? Uh, did you know that, that 95% of the supercentenarians no, are women? That's a, that's a shocking statistic. So supercentenarians are what? People that live past 100, Over like 100, well past? Yeah, yeah. So the centenarians say, although they say positivity is the key to longevity, although I remember one woman said Dr. Pepper was, <laughs> but uh, new research suggests a long life comes down to individual sex hormones, especially for super centenarians of, of the 53 living or men or women who've lived past their 110th birthday. Wow. wow. Uh, 51 are female. And so as we know, estrogen is, the, estrogen is the female sex hormone, testosterone is the male sex hormone, and Stanford University researchers have cited um, you know, prior studies have shown a, a link between these hormones, sex hormones, and stem cell maintenance. So in animal studies, estrogen directly affected stem cell population in female mice, enhancing the regenerative capacity of brain stem cells. Hmm. And in male mice, if you supplement with estrogen, it increases the lifespan. This is interesting, you know, speaking of Game of Thrones, human studies have shown that eunuchs, which are men that have been castrated, mm -hmm. live an estimated 14 years longer than non-eunuchs. What? I know. I didn't know that either. It says BBC reported castration prevents most of the testosterone from being produced, and that possibly protects the body from any damaging effect and prolonging lifespan. Uh, and there's been studies on this. So they say since the functional decline of stem cells is a hallmark of aging, the researchers analyzed emerging stem cell research to try and answer if aging of stem cell differs between males and females mm -hmm. and whether this is a consequence for disease and lifespan. And this is why they did find sex-associated difference in stem cell aging uh, may be associated with sexual dimorphism and life, lifespan. In other words, dimorphism meaning the physical difference between men, men and women. Um, you know, the, um, I, I guess what they're saying is like it's very hard to, 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 to clearly directly implicate stem cells as the cause because men and women are so different. But what they're saying is at the very least it should emph emphasize the importance of controlling for sex in studies which, in which age is a variable. Yeah. Which is important, Yosef. You know, you do this a lot. You do a lot of grafting and transplant experience, things like that. Like, you know, female versus male animals. I mean, it makes a difference. I don't think people really pay too much attention to that. I mean, they do, but they kind of ignore it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. 
But especially it's, in the field of stem cells, it's saying that there is a major effect of this uh, of sex and sex hormones. Well, maybe uh, Caitlyn Jenner will live a little bit longer now. Oh, I man. Should, I we, should we put that in the roundup? <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. This is a Nature Methods. This is by Nicola Elvasore. Uh, and it's functional differentiation of human pluripotent stem cells on a chip. So this is basically microengineering human organs on a chip. Uh, obviously remains a challenge. Wow. And it remains a challenge because the environment in such is that you need like microfluidics, you know, like constant bathing of, of media and, and, and nutrients. So here they describe a robust microfluidics-based approach for the differentiation of human pluripotent stem cells directly on a chip. It says extrinsic signal modulation is achieved through optimal frequency of medium delivery, can be used as a parameter for improved germ layer specification and cell differentiation. It says that human cardiomyocytes and hepatocytes derived on these chips showed functional phenotypes and respond to temporally defined drug treatments. Uh, so that's cool. It's a new step towards uh, drug discovery in a more kind of high-throughput organ-on-a-chip manner. Uh, this was in Stem Cell Reports out of Donway Hung Fu's lab at, uh, down MSK. in your neck there. Yeah. Uh, Memorial Sloan Kettering, Stem Cell Reports. A CRISPR-Cas-mediated selection-free knock-in strategy in human embryonic stem cells. Um, so we, we all talk about CRISPR-Cas, how you can kind of make site-specific mutagenesis and introduce mutations and or correct them and things like this. However, I guess the integration of reporter gene into an endogenous locus in human ES cell. So if you want to put uh, a reporter of your gene of interest, you know, something that will tell you when that gene is active or something like that, it requires lengthy and laborious um, kind of strategies. Um, and so here they report a selection-free knock-in strategy, uh, and they use OC4M orange, different colors, to create these lines and show you how you can create reporting lines. Hmm. which is a little more simple. And for everyone who's not really in the lab, a lot of times we want to know when a gene is expressed because it indicates something. So OCT4, for example, indicates pluripotency or embryo. And so an easier way to do it is look down the microscope and see that those cells are glowing green. Hmm. And when they glow green, we know that OCT4 is on. So this is a, a, apparently a better method to produce those uh, uh, those things. This is out of the lab of uh, a collaborator here of mine, Sergu Pasca. Pashka, I should say, uh, and and it's uh, Ben Barris is on the line and Dan Geshwind. Uh, functional cortical neurons and astrocytes from human pluripotent stem, stem cells in 3D culture. This is Nature Methods. So this is a 3D culture approach to generating laminated cerebral cortex, human, mm-hmm. uh, and they, they show electrophysiological, electrophysiological activity uh, and just kind of present a new, more, more what the word, the air quote, in vivo-like differentiation paradigm. Mm-hmm. That's in uh, Nature Methods. Transcriptome signature and regulation in human somatic cell reprogramming in Hewn Park. Uh, stem cell reports. Basically, um, re- this, is repro- this is more about re- reprogramming of somatic cells. Uh, and they show, um, they looked at transcriptome. by They, they, they look at RNA-seq on cells uh, by a combination of multiple cellular surface markers, and they find that the transcriptome changes during early reprogramming occur independently from the opening of closed chromatin by, you know, OSKM. Um, it, it, it's really just a detailed transcriptomic map of the reprogramming process, uh, and, and it's kind of uh, heavily genetic there. So if any of you're interested in reprogramming, uh, that's that. And then I will close, uh, like I said, because I just want to make sure we get enough time with Heather. For all you baldies out there, this is a limited hair cell induction from uh, uh, human-induced pluripotent stem cells using a stepwise, simple stepwise method. 
So uh, they, they, I guess, established this very simple um, uh, kind of stepwise method for the differentiation of human iPS cells into inner ears, inner, inner ear hair cells. So not the hair that you necessarily want, uh, maybe for disease and for death, deafness it is, but for uh, the ones on the top of your head, I hope, I don't know if it's going to be useful, but it's a very kind of simple uh, walk you through generation of uh, kind of hair. And I like looking at these studies because I like looking at the pictures and the ultra characteristics of hair and those electron microscope images that I still love. Even You ever done a scanning EM? Yost? No, no. It seems really hard. It seems way out there. Like yeah. you couldn't do it, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I feel the same way. I'm not a scanning EM guy. Anyway, that was in uh, Neuroscience Letters in May. So uh, everybody go check that out. And I think uh, we should just stop there and move on. Okay, Chris, why don't you bring on our guests? All right, so we've been, we've been talking about um, the meeting in Sweden, the ISSCR annual meeting 2015. Uh, we'll, two, in about two weeks, we'll be there. Uh, and so to preview the meeting and to talk a little bit more about that, we have Dr. Heather Rook on the show today, and uh, she is the scientific director for the International Society for Stem Cell Research, the ISSCR. Heather, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. We're 15 days and counting out to the ISSCR annual meeting, so it's a little bit frantic in the office, but we're excited. Yeah, so are we, and I, and I know a lot of our, um, you know, our audiences, uh, there's, a, there's a bunch of them out there that will be there. Joseph and I are excited to be a part of the meeting and help to uh, you know, spread the word and spread the science, uh, so we really look forward to that. So before we before we jump into the meeting and all the stuff that's going on, please introduce yourself you know, to the audience. Tell them, you know, we always say, what's your stem cell story? Tell us how you got to where you are today, and you're a scientist, so uh, you know, tell, us, tell us about how you've gotten to uh, the ISSCR where you are today. So certainly, I've actually been with the ISSCR for nearly 10 years, so it's been quite a path and quite a development of my position here at the ISSCR. Before I joined the team here, I um, I did a postdoc with Stuart Orkin at Children's Hospital in Boston, and before that, I did my PhD at University Auckland in New Zealand. Um, and all of those studies were on hematopoiesis and the development of the blood system. And in Stu's lab in particular, I was focusing on, on the, both the development of the red blood cell. I did a GATA1 project as well as um, the development of the, the GMP through to the, um, the neutrophil lineage and an aberration in a gene pathway there, uh, which caused it not to, to change its fake commitment. And we were, um, you know, that's really where stem cells started to be introduced into my world. Obviously, the blood is the oldest stem cell, so it's certainly nothing, nothing new. But what we found was that there was also a stem cell defect. So, um, it was an introduction from that sense. At the end of my postdoc, I was sort of looking around for a different type of position, uh, perhaps not one as a group leader. Um, industry was a difficult entry at that time because I didn't have um, I didn't have a, a green card. So to stay in the states, and which is what I wanted to do, I, I was looking for an alternative. And the ISSCR at that time scientific editor position came up online, and I was very excited to try out for that and and show um, try my hand at, at something a little different. And at that point, the job was really around the websites. And as the society has grown and my position has grown with it, uh, you know the, the job has really broadened. So what I do is I oversee the scientific, educational, and public communication programs at the ISSCR. This is really mostly about our different forums for presenting, disseminating um, stem cell research ideas and also, you know, policy around, around stem cells. Um, 
So, uh, you know, a major part of that is still our websites and I, you know, our isscr.org website, which is really presenting mostly to our members and to our scientific community, but also our closer look at stem cells. I think you guys heard about that a couple of weeks ago. That's our public facing site. We've recently given it a fresh face. Um, and that's a, a really part, important part for us is to present stem cells to the, to the public. We also, um, I also oversee the coordination of the annual meeting and international National Symposium, uh, their program development, making sure that what the program committee are visualizing, you know, envisaging comes to life, um, you know, fixing up all of the, some of the operational aspects of that and, and, and getting a great show at the, at, you know, on site. Uh, we have ISSCR Connect, which is our online educational platform. And we also have our journal relationships. We are affiliated with Cell Stem Cell, but we also launched just a couple of years ago Stem Cell Reports, which is the ISSCR's own journal. So, um, and so that's really currently what my position is now. Wow, that's, that's quite a lot. I mean, uh, that's a great pedigree too. Stuart Orkin's a, a fantastic scientist. We'd love to have him on the show someday. Uh, so excellent. Um, so talk about that transitions. Was it hard to like leave the bench? Do you miss it? So that's what I wondered. So one of the things that made me feel a little bit more comfortable was I spoke to the to the person who had done the position for a couple of years before me, Susanna Kaderide, and what she told me was she was going back to the bench. And that gave me a little, after two years, in the position of scientific editor, and she really launched the very first ISSCR.org website. Mm. Um, so after two years, she was looking for, she missed the bench, so she was going back, and she had found um, a junior principal investigator position in Singapore and was really excited to be moving back to the bench. She missed designing experiments. Um, I was less convinced I would miss designing experiments. <laughs> and, and honestly, I, I haven't. I, I think that perhaps my transition was a little bit easier. So I'm based still here at Boston Children's Hospital. So Len Zon founded the ISSCR and he um, donates my space, which um, means that I've been able to sit within an academic um, location and and that was a nice transition. The ISSCR was smaller. I I grew into the position, and I I developed the sort of more office culture as I went along. Um, I I certainly since I came on board, we have hired uh, a second. There's a second scientific staff position, and the, the, a couple of people that have come into that have have had to learn uh, a little bit more about office culture, and you know who knew that there was casual Fridays. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. I, for, I forgot that Heather. I forgot that you're still in. I mean, ISSCR is is uh, headquarters is in uh, Chicago, Illinois. correct? Yeah, yeah, northern suburb of Chicago, Skokie. Um, so they're in they're in an office, right? It's um, a it's a different feel. I you know I'm very jealous because some people have offices and I have a cubicle in a hallway, but I also sit outside um, Lenzon and George Daly's postdocs, which is really fun as they walk by and I I get to hear the science as well. Okay. So no, that that's that that is pretty very cool. I mean, you're not far from the bench or and or the science. That's for sure. Whereas if you were in, you know, one of those offices, you really have to go and find it. There, it's present. It's in the it's in the air. I guess we can say the academic air, the uh, results flying down the hallway. Um, and so now now we come to um, you know the list of things that you just mentioned. You know, we're going to talk about the meeting ISSCR 2015, and I you know. Tell everybody, just give everybody a little glimpse into what goes into something like this. Can you just tell me, uh, last year, Heather, how many people attended ISSCR, the meeting? Uh, so last year, there was about 3,000 
500, and we expect uh, just a little bit more than that this year in Sweden. Um, when we were in Boston the year before that, we had 4,000 people. So, so it's so, a pretty significant so a, meeting. So you have about 3,500 to 4,000 people. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, you know, we put this little small meeting on in Saratoga where we have 85 to 100 <laughs> people. And so, and I know what kind of work goes just into that. So can you give everybody just a little, uh, like, kind of glimpse as to what goes into producing and putting on an event of this capacity to make sure not only log- – I know you have, you know, there's companies that help with logistics, but the program is so important, right, the scientific program. So tell everybody a little bit how, how, how what goes into something like that. So first of all, we have a, a – a- director of global events, Kathy Veacher, who actually does all of the contract negotiation and manages all of the on-site logistics, getting the space booked, the hotels booked, all of the, you know, the moving parts in that sense. And she has a team of folks working with her. So I can really only speak to the program. We have a, a full-time administrator who works with the, the varying meeting programs. As I said, we have both the annual meeting as well as the international symposia. And Liz works with those program committees. We have already started working on on 2016. So just to give you a sense of how long that goes on, it's um, really important what we offer as staff is some of that history, uh, what's happened before, what's happening now. We provide the structure for the meeting and they really have a, you know, there's a really strong meeting program um, committee who, who work on, on who they want as speakers. They identify some of the, the key trends in the field, what they want to talk about and look for some really great speakers within that. Um, I think one of the toughest parts for staff is really around the abstract management. So we're super excited. We've got a record number of abstracts being presented as posters this year. 1,700, just over 1,700 wow, have wow. accepted their positions and will will show up with posters. Uh, we get over 2,000 um abstract submitted and what we do is we navigate our way through that review process so that that we can identify if there are any concerning abstracts and really mostly looking for some of the 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 superstars within that group and then these um these we select this year we've actually increased the number we've got a hundred uh talks selected from the abstracts again the program committee have a lot of um, a lot of that control, they're, they're making some of those decisions. But what we're looking for is balance, making sure that we are putting the right faces in front of them for, for their decision making. It's, uh, that's <laughs> always makes for a very busy, um, March, actually. And then I'm sure, I'm sure you get the, uh, the, the, the some of the, the people that last minute can't come and things like that. Do you have like B list or backups? Like, is this built into your program where if people, you just kind of shift them around or you just lose the space? This might be just more for me to understand more logistic there it happened to us in this small spend even in a small meeting it's more difficult because you only have like 12 speakers and when one drops it's almost 10 percent of your list so do you do you have mechanisms for things like that we do i mean the closer we get to the meeting the more we'll get taken by surprise and find ourselves on the back foot i mean the one thing about having 1700 posters is we've got a good list of people that we can jump on and and you know what some of the best science will be in that poster hall and so it's not necessarily difficult to to find someone to to jump in for those you know what we are struggling with now is there's one speaker who's let us know that there's a a, an issue with a visa um and 
and trying to get into Sweden and then actually get back into the States. So we're looking, is there somebody else on that abstract who would be able to present that research? Typically, we wouldn't do that, but two weeks out, we'll be, we'll be looking into that. If it's a speaker, um, we have a, a terrific network of scientists who are part of the ISSCR.org leadership. Um, we have the meeting list. We, we'll go looking for someone with similar expertise who we already know will be attending and um, give them a little poke and ask them if they'd be prepared to step in. And so certainly some of our leadership have had to step in um, last minute in the past. I'm curious so, uh, if, if, ahead, yes. uh, if about half the abstracts are rejected, what what would... No, we don't reject very many abstracts at all, actually. It's just that we're choosing only about 100 out of... Of that two thousand. Oh, I thought you. Sa- I thought course. you said there was three thousand exe- uh, submitted and seventeen hundred. Oh, that- yeah. So, but then not everyone can make it. So those are not necessarily people who've been rejected. Those are folks who have not been able to attend the annual meeting in the end. Uh-huh. Um, and also, some of those people will have submitted more than one abstract and and you know might choose to only take one post. And they have to accept, right? They can also decline, even though that they, they were. Can. Yeah, they can. I see. I see. And, and so here, you know, when I go to a meeting, especially this meeting, there's two things that I'm normally going for. I'm going to learn science and I'm going to have fun and interact, yeah. right? I mean, I mean, let's not pretend that going to a meeting is all, all business. I mean, you're all the friends and colleagues are there, right? And you want to network and have fun. I mean, that's, that's, that's 50%, if not more of the meeting. So on those two topics, let's just do that for a second. The science. Is there anything people should be in particularly looking out for this year? I know this was a big, you know, there's always the hot things and something. Do you do you feel that there's a hot area that will be highlighted in the ter- in terms of the scientific program this year? I think it really depends on your research interests. Uh, you know, different people are going to find different parts hot. But what I can say is one of the sessions that I'm most looking forward to, and I'm not sure I'd always say that about 9 o'clock on a Saturday morning, but at 9 o'clock on the Saturday morning, actually, there's the immunology and stem cells um, um, that's the, one of the plenary sessions. And I think that that's going to be, you know, that's a session that I'm really looking forward to seeing the speakers there. It's a really interesting mix. There's Carl June, who's going to be speaking to adoptive T-cell therapy. Um, Patrick O'Borg, um, who will be presenting a successful gene and cell therapy story. Um, Juan Carlos Zuniga-Fluca, um, that's really lymphocyte commitment. So that's really your immunology. Um, and then, in the mix, there's also, I'm probably going to butcher his name, for which I, I apologize in advance, but John Ionides, who's actually, um, he's a professor of health research and policy and disease prevention. And he's going to be, it's more of an ethics talk. He's going to be talking about the opportunities and, and concerns around um, reproducibility, which I think is oh, cool. a really important piece for our field. So I think that will be, that's something I think worth worth listening and, um, you know, looking out for. And then to conclude that session is actually our Outstanding Young Investigator Awardee, and that is Paul Tizar. I know you're very familiar with your, his work, and, and you've actually spoken with him on the show in the past, but it'll be really great to hear his latest research. I know he had a Nature paper in mm-hmm. April. And um, for those who are less familiar with his work, he, he'll be talking about using pluripotent stem cells to um, model diseases and also to look for treatments for oligodendrocytes, you know, for, for things around oligodendrocytes. So um, I think that would be my 
highlight session. But in general, the Saturday is going to have a more clinical focus. But also, knowing Lens On, who is the program committee, we've got some really strong developmental biology scattered throughout the program as well. That's great. And we know that Paul Tazar will be wearing a stem cell podcast tie when he's uh, <laughs> up there. So uh, uh, they're just going to get that in. So, um, okay, I, I agree. I mean, everybody has their, I don't want to use the word favorite, but everybody has their field that they're most into. But um, the immunology, I know Yosef and I have been more and more intrigued with that, uh, learning about, um, you know, these new T-cell kind of therapies and things like this. We had um, someone on talking about this. So that that would be a very awesome and cool session to see. Now, for fun, you know, you're coming there, you want to network or I want to go and, and just kind of hang out. Give us some idea of how, you know, we can network or we can, you know, opportunities for um, doing air quotes of fun and, and meeting up with people. Um, g- give us some idea of, of what we can do there. Sure. So, I mean, that was is one of the challenges of, of a larger meeting is is the connection. So, within that, how do you find the, the people you want to see and, and, and that? So, we, we've also got about 45% of our attendees will be junior, what we call trainees. So, that is postdocs um, and students. Um, and then we've also got a lot of early career investigators. So, we have some events that we establish for those groups that are, uh, you know, you register for those in advance. So, um, you know, we've certainly... I think they're probably full, but, you know, there are things to look out for. Um, we have a, a junior principal investigator luncheon, which we start off the meeting with on Wednesday, and we have them meet the experts on Thursday and Friday. Um, there's a career panel on, on the Saturday. But in addition to that, we also have the, the junior investigator social night, which we don't limit only to junior investigators, but that'll be really fun. That's um, We'd hope that you were going to talk with Ola before that because he really knows Stockholm inside out, but it's a, it's a brewery. And, that, and that'll be fun. The poster hall, we have a couple of receptions there. And uh, we actually, we have three. We have the posters are split over Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday night. And I think starting conversations at the posters is a, is a good place. There's um, certainly food and drink to, to network over. There's ISSCR Central. If you're looking to find a meeting place for folks, that's a spot. And we know that you'll be there asking questions of our, of our attendees about how they're enjoying the meeting. Um, and there's a lot of exhibits. So I think the exhibit hall is a, is a good place to start and, um, start some of those conversations. You know, Stockholm looks like it's going to be a, a, a really bubbling city. Um, and that'll be, that'll be fun to explore as well. I'm curious about the apps, like how technology and meetings are being integrated. So is there an app? I remember last year there was some sort of an app thing going on where you can find... I I just find the smartphone so much easier to navigate Mm -hmm. uh, a a meeting of this size. And I'm wondering... uh, is that something that's outsourced or do you have to build your own app? Like how's, how's that, is, is that going to be integrated into this year's conference? We will. We will have a mobile app and that should be coming soon. What we'd recommend for anyone who wants to do some serious meeting and session planning is to start on the online platform, which we'll be sending the link for that to all of the attendees very shortly and then to sort of download that into the mobile app. But what, as you're saying, on site, the mobile app is a really, um, you know, that's sort of an up to the, up to the minute way of, of identifying people. And that does allow you to, to re- reach through to different attendees. We also have, um, as part of our, um, our abstract submission 
system, no, sorry, as part of the re- registration system, we have a, it's called eSocial, which um, registered attendees should hear about or they can look up for a little bit more information. And you can log on to that and that you can use to set up meetings in advance with other attendees who've chosen to make themselves visible. Mm-hmm. And I know that a number of people are using that to um, to find folks um, and exhibitors and, and meet with, with people in advance, perhaps looking for jobs or, or talking about those sorts of opportunities. So uh, actually, that's a, that's a good point to bring in. And in terms of our mobile app and how we build that, we have such a, you know, you, as you've heard, we've got a lot of aspects in the program. We've got the, the social aspects, we've got the, the, the innovation showcases, all of the exhibits, the, the posters and all of the speakers as well, um, that we actually get the app through the, 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 abstract management system okay great yeah because besides that the i I think it was the on i think i had it on as a pdf on my phone i was able to search through and go through and find the you know what i was interested in and i just found it to be almost seamless as you know compared to previous conferences where you're you're searching through a big thick abstract book and all you know it's it, it was just so much easier this year but using that and i guess uh having the internet access so you could find your friends through like whatsapp you know that program so you could text message people who are international because you want to find you know people that you know um that may not have uh, cell phone service since sweden so yeah (laughs) it's 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 vitally important to have that internet to that note, Yosef and Heather, there will be. I'm assuming there's wireless there access. It's wireless access throughout the throughout the meeting center, so that will be no problem for people to connect, be checking their their phones for what's coming up in terms of the program. Be a little tougher to read abstracts on a phone, so you know that's that's for a. Um, but you can search, so you'll still be able to find by by names. Okay. And then I, I guess lastly, Heather, uh, you know, there might be some people out there. I might have talked to some people that say something like, you know, it's for people in the States. Obviously, people in the States are very United States centric and they're saying, well, you know, it's kind of far. We have to travel and it's expensive and things like this. And, and, and you know, sure, I, I, get, I guess I get part of that. Uh, explain, explain how ISSCR, it's, you know, tries to approach us. It's a global organization and, and they want to put, you know, be around the world. And you try to rotate this as well, correct? So, I mean, just, just let everybody know about how that's chosen and then also opportunities if there are for, for you know, um, you know uh, travel grants and things like this. So we, uh, you can apply for a travel grant at the same time as you submit an abstract. They are very competitive. I mean, there are fewer than the people who apply. So that's, you know, that, that's, that's tough. But there's also a lot of support from local networks and from institutes. So it's, we always encourage people to check in with their local stem cell network. We do move the annual meeting. Uh, we try to have one on the East Coast and one on the West Coast of the US and then look to take it outside. We were, we are in Stockholm this year and in Japan uh, in 2012. Um, and so, you know, we're moving around. We also have our international symposia and we, which are in, you know, many different places. We've got one coming up in October in Suzhou, China. Um, and we're typically partnering with local groups and we've got two others coming in early 2016. One in Dresden, which will be focused on neural biology and one in Tokyo, oh, sorry, Kyoto. Um, in Japan, where we're collaborating with, with Sarah or Syrah. I'm not sure how they say that. Um, and that will be more around pluripotency and, and reprogramming. And then we have Connect, which is sort of 
you know, that's available internationally, that's online. Um, we obviously struggle with time zones there, so um, we try to move around the times of the presentation a little bit, um, and it's on demand. So um, we hope to, for those who don't manage to make it to the meeting, we, we hope that they can still find some educational access there. And finally, uh, so when, when the meeting's over, does the whole organization just take a month off and... <laughs> <laughs> We wish. No, we come back. no. So the, uh, it's a really exciting time actually to be at the annual meeting. We're talking to our committees and our leaders and thinking through our projects for the next year and we come back with a lot of energy. We do typically take a few days off and, and so it, it's a mix and match. We have to keep the office open coming back from the annual meeting. So some people take their, their you know, a week or so off then and some others at the end of August. So it's, a, <laughs> it's mixed. But I wish we could take a month off. <laughs> I like that idea, yeah. and we keep saying this every time we talk to the Swedish, who seem to <laughs> seem to have a lot of a lot of vacation time. Or perhaps it's just that this is the time of year where the days are so long. Um, yeah. They're out, <laughs> they're yeah. out in the in the daylight, and and um, not in the office. And we think we're we're moving to Sweden. Right. So that's where we all move our headquarters. I've definitely well, said that before too. So <laughs> I've I've never I've never been to Sweden. I'm really excited to go to see it. Um, I, I I I it's always a great time. Everybody, I should say. I mean, Joseph probably will agree with me. I've 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 met so many people who I'm still work with, collaborators and or friends in this field. Uh, coming to the ISSCR meeting. So it's, it is the place to be, uh, if you're associated with stem cells or you want to be associated with stem cells. This is really the place to be. There's something for you in all aspects. There's science, there's fun, there's, the exhibits are fun, the vendors are fun, uh, and you get to be around some of the smartest people, uh, you know, in this field. So if you, you can still register, right, Heather? I mean, you can register you at can the meeting still as well. Register. Right? Um, yeah, we, we will take online advanced registrations for another week and a half. And then after that, it will be on site registration. So um, we look forward to seeing anyone else who can make it there. We're, we're really, really excited. Well, thank you so much for giving us a little preview. It's made uh, me, I don't know about you, Yost, more excited to get out there. I'm really pumped up, and uh, I'm, I hope the audience is as well. And uh, we look forward to a, a great meeting and seeing you out in Sweden. Heather? Great. See you guys then. Okay. Right. Thank you so much. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay. So there you have it. There we go, man. There's all the uh, or a lot more info on the meeting that we will all be at. And uh, we wanted to do this for you guys, for everyone out there. For everyone that's going, gives you a little um, chance to understand a little better about the program and what's going on. And for those that are not, uh, it lets you see what happens at a big meeting and a big conference and Maybe it'll lure you to the next one. So thank you, uh, thank you, Heather. Yeah. Uh, and now we will uh, rant. Yos, I want to rant about Game of Thrones, but we're not going to. <laughs> yeah, we we could <laughs> we could rant about the Luck Dragon uh, uh, yeah, aspect yeah. of the yeah never ending story and the never ending story. I love that Yosef <laughs> knows. I made a never ending story reference this morning to Yosef, and he knew exactly what I was talking about. He even knew the name of the dragon as yeah. Falcor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I hope uh, everybody knows the never ending story. If not, you should go uh, go see it. All right, Yosef. What's our rant topic uh, for today? Well, this is actually a good one for all the scientists in the audience, those writing their thesis or papers. Uh, with Microsoft, uh, just doesn't recognize auto, uh, correct does not recognize science terms. So like you'll be writing up a, a manuscript and a good third of your, your manuscript will be read it, have that little red line underneath it. I don't know if that bothers you as much as me. Like I can't, it, it kind of like, I need it to not be that red. <laughs> I, I need, no, like, it's, it's, <laughs> it's incredibly frustrating because it's, it's not only, 
I mean, you know, I, I know we rely on technology, but, but you have to go back, you know, you do your spell check, and that, that doesn't cover half of it. Then you got to go through, and then it's just defeating when you look at a document that's all red, you know? You're like, oh, my God, why is it all red? And then, like, things like pluripotent, you yeah. know, which is, like, everywhere. And you're like, come on, you don't know. I mean, I feel like there should be a little, like, lo- like learning thing, right? Like, they should know me by now, well, and they should know that pluripotent is a word that I use. Well, thank God they added the add function so you could add a word to your library but say you get a new computer it doesn't like follow you so if you get a new computer with microsoft office on it you're not going to have all those pluripotent is not going to follow you so you have to re-add those terms see and, i didn't even know about this ad thing oh yeah that's a game changer you're gonna love that so oh, uh, man uh, if the you rant write is the rant will change my life right now <laughs> yeah no um and, and but you would think there was you know there's urban dictionary there's probably a science dictionary they could pull from to get some of these terms like it happens for me when i use uh autocorrect on my phone for certain science articles that that we cover here, uh, you know, it doesn't pick up half of these terms, uh, especially some of the chemistry names, cyclohexane or whatever. It won't, it won't get that. And the, there's got to be a science dictionary somewhere. They, could uh, I mean, I would, I would think so. I mean, the other thing it does too is in text messages, like my autocorrect. Like for example, when I text neural to people, it changes it to neutral. Do you know how annoying that is? Oh man, that's like, I gotta be like, yeah, it's really cool. Like I, I we knocked this down and it and it and it didn't go neutral. And they're like, well, what do you mean it's not neutral? I'm like, no neural. And then it goes neutral again. And I'm like, yeah. will you stop changing everything I'm saying? Like so. I didn't know about this. Is this this add-on thing, add-in for yeah, phone so, too, yeah, or no? Is it no, just for Word? Not for the phone, but for Word, you could add it. I can't believe you didn't know that was there. You must have like deeply read manuscripts. Dude, because, so red. Yeah. It's so red. In fact, it's in fact like once and my wife was like, "I'm like, can you read this for me?" And she was like, "Well, first you need to spell check it because the entire document's red." I'm like, "No, no, no. Those are fine. Those are okay." Yeah, it's but, so backwards. It's but, so frustrating, and it's like in my confidence, it defeats my confidence because I'm all done. I look back and I see all this red underline. I'm like, but, oh, "Now I have to go through." Ugh. But beware, Chris. Before you start adding, you have to make sure what you're adding is absolutely spelled correctly because it's going to ignore it for the future. So you know. Yeah, it's oh, a big so deal. if I spell pluripotent wrong and yeah. I add it in wrong, it's going to be permanently. It'll change yeah. it all to it'll be wrong. Yeah, so I don't even know how to undo it once you add it to the. Great, to, yeah, that, that, that might be worse. I might live with the red. <laughs> oh well, man, right. these are these are high class problems. I actually have to read through my manuscripts and make sure that the spelling is correct. Yeah, but, yeah. This is like way before. Yeah, imagine how they did back in the day. Yeah, I know typewriter style and stuff. Actually, no typewriter, handwritten. Yeah. By the way, do you still write in when you write? Do you print or do you do cursive? Uh, I print. I print. Yeah. Do you know anybody that writes in cursive? Cursive's dying. Uh, I've seen reports about how it's dying, and people, even parents, are like, "Why are you teaching this to my kids? It's 2014." Uh, 2015. We don't need to do this anymore. So yeah, cursives. On that's its way a random, up. random thought. All right, anybody. Yeah, well, so. so anyone, check your spelling and do this ad thing. Maybe Yosef can tell us more about it on the next one. We will be live from Sweden on the next time you hear our voices. Yeah. I'm uh, looking forward to so Yos, my man, I'll see you at the airport. All right. See you soon. All right, man.